President Carter has arrived in Fort Wayne, Indiana for a brief... Go to America, goes Montana! He will fall in fire! Because cable's now. I think cable history is exciting, and personally, I believe this is such a wonderful industry. Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of Stories from the Head End, the Cable Center's podcast series featuring the industry's visionaries and leaders sharing their unique insights and experiences. I'm Diane Christman, Senior Vice President and Chief Program Officer. This season, we're exploring the many facets of innovation within the cable broadband industry. We're presenting brand new content as well as segments curated from the collections of the Cable Center's Barco Library and the Hauser Oral and Video History Project. Today's episode, an Entrepreneurship Academy session with Leslie Ellis and Ken Clare. Ellis is owner of Ellis Edits, Inc., an analysis writing firm specializing in the technologies used in cable, multi-channel, and broadband delivery systems. Claire is Senior Vice President, Comcast Technology Solutions and Strategic Infrastructure, and has been promoted to Executive Vice President. He leads Comcast Technology Solutions Organization, which is focused on four lines of business, wholesale, syndication, video platform, and ad delivery. In addition, he heads Comcast's strategic infrastructure team, as well as the Comcast India Engineering Center, located in Chennai. Ellis and Claire join innovation expert Robin Bolton for a panel session in front of a class at the Cable Center's Entrepreneurship Academy, an eight-week program which targets early and mid-career rising stars in the cable broadband industry and gives them the tools to innovate and affect change within their organization's existing corporate structures. Claire and Ellis discuss their careers, the changes they have seen in the industry, sifting through new ideas and aligning them with business goals and the creative process. This session was recorded in 2018. So good morning, everyone. We are very pleased to have with us today Leslie Ellis and Ken Clare uh, to share with us some of their stories about being pioneers and innovators and leaders within the cable industry. We're really excited to have you joining us for this. Um, you know, as you know, the class has been working really hard for the past eight weeks on projects and on learning the process of innovation and skills of entrepreneurship. And this is our capstone where we're kind of bringing it all together. So we're excited to have you here because what we want to hear from you is, you know, your stories of being part of innovation, of, you know, creating new things and championing the creation of new things. So as a brief introduction to each of our guests, and certainly feel free to add on. Or uh, subtract. Or subtract. I'm only going to do the first paragraph. Um, they have very, very impressive bios. Um, but I'll start with Leslie. So Leslie Ellis is owner of Ellis Edits, Inc. and TranslationPlease.com, a Denver-based analysis writing firm specializing in the technologies used in cable, multi-channel, and broadband delivery systems. Specific focus is translating the dense language surrounding the technologies and technology strategies of service providers, and particularly cable service providers. And we could have used you this morning during some elevator pitches. I could have used you. and then next to her, we have Ken Clare, who is the Senior Vice President, Comcast Technology Solutions 
and Strategic Infrastructure. Yes, I got all that. He was named to that role in October 2017. He leads the CTS organization, which is focused on four lines of business, including wholesale, syndication, video platform, and ad delivery. In addition, he leads the Strategic Infrastructure team, which is responsible for video and infrastructure, including the transition to all IP video distribution. That's enough. And that's enough. <laughs> I only had one more line, but that's enough. that's enough. So welcome and thank you for being here. Okay, so I'll start off um, with, you know, one of the goals of the Entrepreneurship Academy is really to empower entrepreneurs with the knowledge and the skills to drive successful innovation within their companies. And, you know, a huge part of that is changing the organization. So Ken, I'm going to start with you. You know, you were named a cable TV pioneer, so... Um, means, means I'm an old guy. <laughs> you may be old. I don't think that's what it means. But um, it, it does mean that you have created, participated in, um, and championed change throughout your career. So just curious for some of your, your stories of doing uh, that work. Uh, there's a lot of stories I could tell, and I could probably put the group to sleep. But uh, I was telling a story downstairs. By the way, if you, I assume you guys have all had the tour... For me, it was fantastic just to see all the memories that, that I grew up with. And it's funny, I was telling a story. I walked in, I said, oh, there's an old Scientific Atlanta head in, which was kind of my, my working roots. Um, uh, but at Scientific Atlanta, I was the company's first fiber optic product manager. And nowadays, everybody takes fiber for granted. And in those days, we had something like 70% market share of this amplifier stuff. And it's one of those things where you have to kind of reinvent yourself because if you don't, somebody else is going to. And there's a lesson in that. And and so in those days, this thing's called DFB lasers. The first laser that I ever bought, I think we paid something like $35,000 for it, for the laser itself. And now it's like a dollar. Yes, it's, it's, it's a commodity. It's nothing, right? And, and so, so we had to go over to Japan and convince the Japanese to characterize the lasers and, so that we could use them in our, in, our, in our construct. And the story that I like to tell, and um, some of the groups already heard this, but you know, we're, we're sitting there, and in those days it was foils. I'm showing my age again. No PowerPoint. Um, Does everyone know what that means, foils? Um, yeah, so some okay. of the old people in here get it, but <laughs> it's before PowerPoint. Um, you have so, to pick it up and take it off, put the yeah, next one right, on. Yeah. The, yeah. So, so we had this wonderful, wonderful explanation about how fiber was going to change the industry. We were going to take it from 40 amplifier cascades down to, at the time, 8 or 12. And we we're in the process of doing that, you could have a, a bigger bandwidth, so you could go from 36 channels to whatever, at the time, probably 54 or whatever. Anyhow, so we got done with the meeting and, and the... Uh, and the Japanese senior executive on the other side of the table says, I only have one question for you. Why would you ever need more than 36 channels? Of course, he didn't get the business. And, <laughs> anyhow, so that was just an example of transforming an industry, and, and we had to work with our partners to do that. And, and I, I will say that the industry would not be where it is if it were not for a lot of people working together with a common goal. And, you know, just there, were, there are so many examples of those kind of transformations of the industry, and I was very fortunate to be part of you know, some of it. So I'm curious, uh, for both of you, kind of thinking back, especially you know, maybe early in your careers or kind of midway through your careers, um, tell us the story of when you've had to drive change within your team or your business or your organization, because that's really hard work. Well, so I, I, I'm the storyteller of people like Ken. <laughs> so I've watched people drive change, but um, the only change I've driven, it was the way I got a raise for myself in 1992. Right. Would you like to hear that? Yes. <laughs> okay. So I was working for a monthly magazine still around called Communications Engineering and Design. And the guy in the office next to me was the news reporter, tech news reporter for Multi Channel News, weekly versus monthly. 
So he was getting a little bogged down on what it takes to do a weekly versus a monthly, and I had some time on my hands. So I said to him, why don't I just take this one section of what you write? It was like rewriting news releases, really. It was called briefs. Why don't I take the briefs and I'll do that for you? And then I called the big boss and said, hey, I'm going to take briefs away from Pete. I mean, I wasn't going to take Pete's briefs away. <laughs> I was going to take the brief section away from Pete, and could you please pay me $10,000 more per year to do that? And he said, yes. So that was one. But in terms of cha like well done. Cha changes, I, big changes I've seen in the industry, um, co coax to fiber, analog to digital, QAM to IP, those are the big ones. But broadband, I think if, you, if, if, if there was one big one in my lifetime, it was broadband. High-speed internet is what we called it in the beginning. And there was one com cable company that's, that's used the word broadband. You remember, Jana? Media, Mediacom. This is broadband. This is the way. And the entire industry chided them for saying, no one is going to take up on that term broadband. Nobody ever. So they were wrong. Mediacom was right. Media One. That's what it was. Media One. Long gone. Yeah, they're long gone. <laughs> Did that answer your question in any shape or form? Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, you've seen a lot of change through the industry and, and told the stories of it. It's... I came into cable a week after I got out of college, wow. 1989. So I came I'm also a cable pioneer. I'm uh, also old like Kevin. Yeah. I came in before college. I was a co-op. Long gone. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell a, a little story about coming into Comcast. I was originally hired in um, to do the customer premise equipment stuff. So. Um, if any of you are Comcast customers and you've seen the voice remote and the cool XB6 and, and what we're doing now with the smaller boxes, when I was a vendor, mostly most of the time at Scientific Atlanta. Um, and most of your career. Most of my career. And, and so, so we, would, we would react to the specs from the customer. And the story that I like to tell is about um, for years and years and years, the operating temperature of a device in a home was always 0 to 40 degrees C. Um, and then some folks decided, you know, People put these devices inside of entertainment cabinets. And when you put them in the entertainment cabinet, it gets hot. And so we should change the spec to 0 to 50. So they made it 0 to 50. And then, and then the, the, we have a group that does a bunch of testing. And they said, well, we're going to test it to 0 to 60. So my engineers would come to me and say, what do I design it to? And do I design it to 60 or 50? And, um, and so, so and, and if any of you ever design pieces of equipment, the, the more operating temperature you have to operate in, they get bigger. And you have to figure, or you have to figure out how fans in it, and you have to figure out. So it adds a whole lot of cost. So, so anyhow, I, I've switched sides to the other side of the table, and I come into Comcast. And one of the first changes that that I, you know, I remember sat down, I sat down with Brian Roberts on like day one of the job. And he's like, "What can we do to have devices that look like Apple and you know some of these other guys?" And <laughs> and so so part of what Wait, I what year was this? Uh, I January it'd be five years in January. Oh, yeah. uh, so so anyhow so. Um, you know, basically what we had to do was convince people internally that, you know, for the few percentage of people that had an entertainment cabinet that had this hot environment, that the life went from 10 years to eight years, that's not the right criteria. And so we, we wrestled it back and, and we got a much more rationalized spec today. And I think one of the smartest things I ever did is hire somebody better than me, uh, smarter than me, and a guy named Fraser Sterling, who came in and, and collectively we, we talked about how we create an industrial design and and anyhow, you can see where, if you've if you ever seen our old products, and some of them are downstairs, um, and to, to what we have today with where we've changed it, you know, we've materially changed in large part because we have to be able to compete in a different world that we had, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And if you ever get a chance to see Fraser Sterling, he's Scottish and he's one of the funniest men in cable. That's right. He's good. <laughs> Special. Got it. So I, I would imagine it, kind of making that change, you know, on the industrial <clears throat> design wasn't just about hiring, but it's about getting people to think differently. 
Yeah, we, um, I, I, I sat down with our physical and environmental people, the ones driving the ultra-conservative spec, and, and I put a chart together, PowerPoint, that, <laughs> that showed the cash-and-cash cash equivalents of Apple, uh, Amazon, and Google, and Comcast. And I said, anybody know what these numbers are? Of course, nobody does, but the point is they have massive amounts of balance sheet to work with. And then I sh shot up a picture of our old XG1 and our, and our, and our uh, XG, uh, XB3 gateway. And then I, then I put up the OnHub and the Apple. And I said, which device would you rather have in your home? And so, so I, had to, I had to actually sell these guys on, you know, this is the enemy. This is who we're competing with. These are, the, these are the people that are coming after our market share. And they've got the balance sheet to do it. You know, let us figure out how to adapt and, and be ready to change. And, you know, it was, it, was, it was a while, but we eventually got everybody on side. And, and we wrestled control of the specs back into where, where it belonged in, into our organization. And, again, Fraser's genius was, was a lot of driving the, the design. But it was... We had, we had to bring the organization along. It's not like you can just come in and make an edict. You had to convince them that it made sense. And as you can see, our devices are much much cooler than they ever used to be. That's great. Yeah, you definitely have to bring people along, and that takes time. So, you know, one of the first things that we learned in this academy is the importance of really listening to your customers and taking a really customer-centric approach or an audience-centric approach. Um, so... Leslie, so much of your work is focused on technology translation mm -hmm. um, and really thinking about, you know, telling the story and, and the audience and, you know, what they're listening for. So um, tell us a bit about how you kind of started doing that work. And Oh, so one week after college, or when I got into cable, mm -hmm. I, I, well, I eventually got working for a magazine. And my first assignment was to sit in this conference. It was called the Emerging Technologies Conference. And it was about a thousand men middle-aged men in a darkened room, and one after, you remember this, one after another would get up and, and read their paper. <laughs> and I had just had lunch, and <laughs> it was, the room was warm. <laughs> and I had gr grown up um, transcribing for my, my mother was a court reporter, so I'd grown up, I'm a touch typist. I had a lap, a, a luggable, really, it was 30 pounds, the laptops at the time. And I decided to just take notes so that I would stay awake, because I had to turn that into a story an hour later about you know what it was, so I, I got into this habit. The point is of taking really good notes. Like people think I'm really smart, I take really good notes. I have a verbatim transcript of this industry for the last 31 in, in years, including everything mm. you've ever said. Uh oh, uh -oh. <laughs> everything. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. So, what was the question again? So, how did you get into oh, yeah. technology? So I got in. Um, I, I got in. I got out of college. Started marrying a guy or dating a guy who was in the cable industry. Because it's not like you wake up and go, I want to work in the cable industry, especially not in the 80s. But so. Married him, got into cable, and started doing the translation thing. And then it just kind of led into, you know, you have to, when you write about technology, you have to understand it as far down as you can go. For me, that's as far as math. Math is not, math is not one of my special gifts. But, you know, so I would go, sit with people and say, I really, really, really want you to explain this to me. So I had a lot of natural curiosity. And when you're writing for engineers, you can't screw it up. You have to be as authentic as possible. So that's kind of how I got into it. I was petrified. Yeah. And I wanted to do a good job. Right. And so when you, how did you figure out like how deep you had to go and what level of translation was needed? Uh, I think I got to the point where I understood it. Okay. Because, you know, I always, I always had someone in my mind like, okay, I'm going to explain this to Jana or I'm going to explain this to Ken. And, you know, you kind of get to hear for what people are listening for. Marketing people are listening for information differently than finance people, than, you know, than HR people. So you have to hear the whole story and figure out how to tell the story based on who you're talking to. 
So how have you seen, you know, having been in the cable industry, uh, you know, since the 80s, for a while now. Him too. Uh, <laughs> Probably <laughs> 70s for you. Uh, I'm not saying. <laughs> yeah. How have you seen the, the industry maybe become more customer-centric or more focused on really creating a customer experience versus being maybe technology or R&D-centric? Let me go first because I know what you're going to say. Okay, go ahead. So mo a lot of the work I do for, for the industry now is for Comcast. And I've never seen a company anywhere ever that is more focused on the customer than Comcast. Everything I do, I work for five or six <clears> or seven different groups within Comcast. Every conversation starts with, the, how will this impact the customer? There's some meetings where there's a chair with a, a, a thing draped over the edge that says customer. So you, even though if there's not a customer there, you're always thinking about the customer in the room. And Jan and I have talked about this. The Cable Center is one of the only groups, I think, that's working with all of the industry to focus on customer care and care agents and... It used to be like, you know, you'd, you'd go into the store here in, in Denver when it used when cable used to be, there's, what was there, 18 cable companies headquartered here in the mid-90s? And you'd go into the store with like your TCI hat on and get accosted by people because they were angry. <laughs> it doesn't happen as much anymore. Cause I, I, think, I think we need one more generation, but by, by the next generation, people are not going to remember how much they hated their cable company. <laughs> my fervent hope. And, and every, all the work is going in that direction. I, tr I firmly believe that. Okay, can I? Well, I just, I'll, I'll do it from the history point of view. I mean, there you, go. It, you know, we started from a community antenna, and there really wasn't competition. And it was, at that point, it's about how you execute getting video to homes and whatnot. And, and then the industry just continued to evolve, and then different stages of com competitors showed up. And so, now, there was a period of time when satellite was the big competitor and there was a rush to going digital so that you could have 500 channels at the time and you know we, we settled into an equilibrium between the cable industry and the satellite industry and next thing you know the telcos get involved and, and then over time then you got the 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 you know the, the over the top the virtual mvpds and so so if you look at the the state of the industry today it's, it's as competitive as it's ever been i mean there's competition coming at us from all kind of every angle, every front. And so um, it, is a, it is a given that you have to have excellent customer service and support. And it's, it's, it's no longer a monopoly. Those days are long, long, long gone. And so um, we do it because it's good for the business, it's good for our customers, and, and you know, it's just the right way to do things. And again, it's in large part, it's because the, the, the industry's matured. And we now have more competition than we've ever had before. It used to be that, that operators would know that there was a problem because customers oh, yeah. were calling. <clears throat> Now, a lot of the stuff I'm working on is how do you get ahead of what's happening yeah. in the network, like the squirrel chewed through the wire or a bullet was shot through the wire. Get, you know, get word of that before it ever impacts anyone. There's a yeah, lot of that going Going back to on. the history stories, I, uh, I was... Pointing um, at Jana. Yeah, Jana, sorry. <laughs> so so um, we were trying to sell something called status monitoring in those days, yeah. putting an, an extra module in those trunk stations where you had the amplifiers. Which so costs money. Which costs money, yeah. and we were trying to talk about the value of proactively knowing when something was going to fail. And uh, I can't remember if it was Dave Willis or Art Lee, but one of those guys at TCI in those days says, why would I ever need to pay for that? I got 20 million people that are going to call me and tell me when I have a problem. <laughs> so the, the whole industry, the culture has changed. I mean, to, to her point, uh, the things that we are doing now, we, we have the ability to look through the entire network. We have the ability to look in the home. Um, we're now working on some really cool stuff that can, can look at the, the, the status of the broadband coming into the home, but we can also look at the status of the signal inside the home and know if it, on what side of the gateway is the problem. I mean, we're working on all kinds of stuff, all designed to make the experience better. We're, we're, we now know that you have a problem in your home before you do. And now there's a set of things that we can do that we're all working on how to proactively address that. So, 
And aren't bonuses now partially based on yeah, metrics we, related we, we to... have Comcast is big in the net promoter score system, and, and you're right. So there's, there's a piece of that. And so I'm curious, um, Leslie, you know, in kind of reading about your experience, you developed an OTT lab laboratory, mm -hmm. basically, and then you converted it to like an IoT laboratory. Mm -hmm. What led you to even create a laboratory to begin with? And then... Well, so I, I come from a long line of people who are really gifted at worrying, <laughs> and I'm, me being one of them. And so ever since I got in the industry, there was always something that was going to kill the cable industry. Yep. So microwave was going to kill the cable industry. Satellite was going to kill the cable industry. Then I, the telecom. That's next. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. the next one that's going to kill us. But it was microwave, satellite, telco, over the top. And so by, by the time we got to over the top, I was a little older and I didn't worry quite as easily. <laughs> But it was also something you could try for yourself. So I um, got an intern at the time, which is a whole other story that you would probably like. But oh, I was at a cocktail party, and it was a guy in the industry and his daughter. I said, what are you doing for the summer? And she said, I don't know. And I said, what can you do? She goes, I can do anything. I said, really? Could you build me an over-the-top video lab in my back bedroom at my office? She's like, I can. I said, do you know how to do that? She goes, I don't. I said, can you do, it? <laughs> can you do that without asking me questions every 10 seconds? I can. So she and I went out to Best Buy with a credit card and bought all, at the time it was just all hardware stuff. It was like Roku and uh, it, it was before the sticks, but it was like a lot of different things. And I said, just put it all together and look at it and tell me what's better. So that's kind of how it got started. I was afraid of yet another thing that was going to kill the cable industry. And then over time, there's only so much interest in, oh, it, Netflix good on, looks good on that one too. And, and just, it got boring. With Chromecast and when the sticks started, the Amazon Fire Stick, it just wasn't interesting anymore. So then, right around then, the Internet of Things was coming up, and some of them are, were so profoundly stupid. Like, my favorite example, the selfie sombrero. This is gigantic sombrero that had been developed for Lady Gaga. It was $10,000, and it had a drop-down thing for your tablet. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I said to a different intern then that ran the lab, I said, let's focus on the best and the worst of the Internet of Things. That's kind of how... And it's kind of fun because there's so many different, this Internet of Things is vast. It has like mm -hmm. six different ecosystems and all these things are happening and everybody's covering it, but not like best and worst. So that's, that's kind of what we're still looking at. Got it. And so when you see kind of the new ideas coming out, and, and this is for both or either one of you, when you see a new idea coming out, a new technology or a new product, what, um, what is it about that convinces you like, oh, this, this could work? This could get traction versus like, that is the stupidest thing. Let me give you the opposite. Okay. So there was a couple things in my lab that were really good. One was called the boxy box. Does anyone remember that? It was a, it was a weird, it was a really uniquely designed box. Like part of it was kind of, it looked cool, super cool. And it worked great and we loved it. And then Samsung bought it, no offense to Samsung, but they bought it and we've never heard from them since. Hmm. So that's kind of when something good disappears. Disappears, yeah. Yeah, that's a complex question about how you decide what to carry into, into fruition. Um, and there's a range of ways to answer that. One of the things that I like about Comcast is we do this thing called Lab Week. It's three, next week. Yeah, three times a year. Mm -hmm. And um, basically, the engineers are allowed to go off and get creative. It needs to be something that's loosely related to the work that they do. And they actually periodically come up with some ideas that make their way into product. And that's mm -hmm. one way we, we do ideation. A kid uh, zone, if you have Comcast. This what came out of that? I didn't know that. And then, uh, you know, actually there's some pretty fun stuff. One of the guys hooked up a breathalyzer to a, to a set-top box. And <laughs> so, so there's fun stuff that come out of Lab Week, but there's some stuff that actually makes it into, into product. Um, and then, of course, on the other end of the spectrum, we do tons and tons and tons of market research. Um, and then somewhere in the middle, there's this genius of Tony Warner. And 
his his ideas of where things should go and how he how he leads the TPX team and um, and I would say there's there's there is not one prescribed exact methodology that we use. It's it can come in from any one of the number of different directions, which I think is one of our strengths. Is that we we don't really care where the ideas come from. It's a good idea. We want to we want to try it. And we have we have we foster an environment where we do a lot of experimentation. I mean, the beauty of X1 as it's designed today is we can we can roll it out and try it, experiment. If it doesn't work, we can throw it away. In the old days of cable, when you when you wanted to do any kind of new function or feature, um, you were going to push code you know, maybe once a year if you were lucky. We push code to devices every two to three weeks. And what that allows us to do is to do very quick changes, and we can experiment, we can try stuff. If, if you ever play with your X1 box, we have Comcast Labs that you can go in and some of the latest applications to play with. So, so there's a lot of ways in which we ideate and test. There's a new one that's super cool. I just found it last week because I'm the one who writes up the new product features for the care group. Go to Comcast Labs. There's a way now that you can set it up for, it just works on the four big networks now, but you can set it up that when you push fast forward to go quickly through the ads, it'll stop automatically for you at the end. Smart resume, it's called. Try it out. Resume. <laughs> <laughs> another thing, back to so the over-the-top lab, another thing we noticed, like, oh, is it better? Why is it better? Android TVs, base TVs or smart TVs had just come out, and a lot of the apps were ported over from Android <clears throat> smaller screens, like little rectangles, as my mother used to call them. And um, it was, the app would say something like, pinch to swipe your, pinch, like it would all be re things related to what you can do with your fingers on your phone, like, dumb, yeah. out. So that's kind of how we graded things. Dumb, out. <laughs> dumb. Good. So this morning, everybody um, shared their elevator pitches for the projects they've been working on. What and was your favorite? Oh, you can't say that. I can't say They were all they were my all favorite. Good, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm curious when, you know, somebody's pitching an idea to you or sharing an idea, you know, and inevitably nothing's free. Everything costs either money or time or, or resources. What are the things that you are looking for and or listening for, want to hear that would get you to say like, yeah, let's have another conversation or um, yeah, you have my approval to move forward? We have a set of goals that kind of start with Dave Watson and work their way to Tony, and then each of us do for our teams. And you can imagine what they are, but they tend to center around customer experience and, and that kind of stuff. And so so I, I kind of listen to, to the ideas aligned with a high, higher order set of goals. Um, me personally, they're, they're, imagine all you guys have the same problem. There's always a longer list than you have capacity to do. Um, one of the things that resonates with me is, you know, the business case. I mean, more often than not, you know, the well-thought-out business cases are the ones that work their way in. I mean, um, you, you look for, can I, can I take, can I take uh, transactions out of the system on the customer experience side? You know, people would prefer to, to, to not have to call up and talk to humans, and there are things that you can do on that side. That always scores a lot of points. And then if, you're, if, there's, a way, if there's direct revenue associated with something, that always is a, is a you know, very attractive thing. So, you know, I, I very quickly get into, does it align with the goals coming from above, and, and is there a business case behind it? A lot of times, frankly, with engineers, there's not the engineers are not the best at the business case side of things, and so you have to help them. Um, but there's usually, you know, job all, security. <laughs> all, but often there's 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 a, you know a, a, a jewel in there occasionally. So um, helping them figure out how to how to think through and and then the process, they learn what's a good idea or not too. So, but I don't know it's kind of along with you. So mine is more a people angle when I'm talking to people about their ideas. I I, I figure each person has four wands, like magic wands. And if they use all four, they have a very high chance of success. The first one is natural level of curiosity. Are you curious about 
what you're working on and how it can solve a problem for someone else. Number two, what's your level of sincerity? Like, do you really mean it? Are you looking me in the eye? Are you, are you for real? What's number two? Oh, God, I'm going to do this now. Uh, oh, number three is, uh, are you a hard worker? And by hard worker, I mean not only pitching your idea or doing your idea, but also looking around and seeing what else needs to be done and helping the person you're trying to help by, like, one of my interns would say, I'm done for the day. Do you mind if I clean? Please go right ahead. <laughs> clean everything. And then the fourth one, and it probably should be the first one, is to always start from a place of gratitude. Like, you cannot fail anywhere in life if you start from a place of, I'm so glad you took the time to talk to me. And, you know, meaningful gratitude. So if you have those four things, sincerity, uh, <laughs> curiosity, work, at, like hard, work hard, and gratitude in any combination, you're going places. Um, so I want to open sorry, it up sorry, to folks, and <laughs> Janice is going to get the microphone. But are there which one is Sarah? The questions. I would say you waved your hand. You know what happens <laughs> no, at the I, hand. She, she raised her hand. She has to ask a question. The hand moves. I'm like you. So Sarah, questions Sarah can for ask the audience. Why I have so many calendar problems? That would be a totally valid question. <laughs> Oh, no, we're, we, we just know each other. We just have never met before. That's all. Yeah. Hi. Sorry. Really? There are no questions. Give them a minute. You're such a curious group. Tell them they're not allowed to leave until they ask. There, there see? Here comes the hard questions. Right. Okay, thank you. Hi, my name is TJ. I work for Comcast. Um, so we're all in this program to learn and to, you know, get additional skills, particularly for innovation and being more entrepreneurial. Um, what are some of the other skills that we should focus on to future-proof our careers in the cable industry? Um, there's a lot of skills. So I, I tell you, the, um, one of, what I think the number one attributes or one of the, my favorites is being a good listener. I was just going to say that, Quentin and I talk a lot about if you're in management, I like the term servant leaders. Um, my, my job as a leader is to create a culture that empowers and enables people to be effective, right? And so, and you can't do that if you're not a good listener. So that's the first thing that pops in my head. I would say, uh, be a good listener, take really good notes, and follow up. I can't tell you how many times I go to a meeting, especially a convention, people are like, I really want to talk to you about this thing. Call me. Never hear from them again. Right. Okay. Thank you. Hi. Um, we can hear you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so machine, does everyone know what machine queue is? It's like a, a tell me if I say this right, but it's a, an arm of Comcast that is working with businesses. Like when Internet of Things things have little tiny batteries that, that, last a really long time but they can't talk a lot so there's only a certain kind of network a, a low power long-range network like the one that machine Q is building the idea is to be able to, to talk to that sense the, that sensor that's 200 miles away about what's going on with it are you alive are you dead Do you have something to report so yeah I think it's a, a, a great idea and I, I know I'm not a, no, if I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this but you're working now with the city of Centennial to put sensors on lamp posts we tried to do it last year, but there was no snow. It was snow sensors. 
So things like that. So things what Machine Q is working on are things that will make smart cities. So smarter parking, smarter lighting systems, uh, smarter snow removal, smog detection. Uh, I think the only risk to LoRaWAN itself is 5G, this, you know, 5G, who, which wants to be everything to everyone. And one of the things that they tout is that they can be the, the delivery mechanism for those little bits of data. But yeah, I think it's highly interesting, and I, I'm following it very closely. I think the use case is incredibly real. Yeah. I, and just so you know, I was involved getting Bill Versteeg to help and Alex and all that. So I was very close um, for a period of time, but not so much these days on MachineQ. The use case is going to happen. To me, what I, what I preach to Alex is it's a race. The cellular guys are going to come at it from narrowband IoT. We don't have a cellular network that allows us to do narrowband IoT today in, in, our, in our current MVNO. So, so to me, um, what I what I is, is it, to me it's a race, and I don't think that I don't think the people that are going to use these use cases care about the underlying plumbing. I think they care about cost, battery life, the things she was rattling off. And so, so to me, I think if you get out there fast enough, and you can you can get people believing that you can solve problems for them using Laura, whichever, um, that's going to be the guy that wins. And so while the, the cellular world, if you will, is kind of in a state of confusion and flux and change, to me it's a race. And, and I'm a believer, and I've, I've been a big advocate, and I've argued it to Tony and others. With that said, there's a bunch of people that are skeptical that once the cellular guys get their act together and they come back with narrowband IoT, there's a risk that it could wipe out a lot of the good stuff. So to me, get out there, get, get, you know, get a bunch of customers, get people successful with it, and, and then the, the rhetoric about what's the underlying plumbing will go away. Two of my favorite use cases that you can <clears throat> help you get your head around what it is. One is um, um, soda machines. You know, if you're the person who delivers the soda to refill the soda machine, you don't really know when Mountain Dew is empty versus Diet Coke. If you have sensors in there, then the machine can tell the driver, I need three cans on this one. And other, otherwise, they just keep, they're, they're showing up when they really don't need to. The other one is actually happening up in Canada with trappers. They put a sensor in the trap so that the person knows when to go to the trap and get the whatever it is critter, critter <laughs> out of the trap, which you know, otherwise they just have to keep making the rounds. Oh, no, nothing's there. There's a million use cases, there that's is, my point, yeah. for, for yeah. low, low bandwidth, long distance, long battery life. And so it's, to me, it's a race. Get going. Go faster. Oh, we're being Hi, good day. I'm Whitney Fennell. I am the vice president for retail sales and distribution from Cable and Wireless Jamaica, oh. a oh, part welcome. of the Liberty Latin America group. Nice. My question is this, as an executive, how do you strike the balance between increasing employee engagement, being customer-centric, and driving innovation? That's a heavy question. <laughs> I, I work alone with my dog. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I actually, it's not as heavy as it comes across. I, I think it's about, um, I'll go back to my comment earlier about creating culture, right? right. And, you have the right employees and you tell them that you care about them and you demonstrate that you care and you create an environment that allows them to grow they're going to look out and, and, and you know it's what we try very very hard in our world to to make sure we have the right environment um and and i think in turn for that we we believe a motivated employee is going to be a better employee with respect to customers and and so far our all of our we have a tremendous amount of energy on internal employee net promoter score activities um, we, we have these huddles, we sit down and we listen, we have this elevation process where good ideas actually make it to the top. You call customers? We call customers. Um, I got some funny stories there. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, um, you know, so, so by, by, by engaging our employees and, and 
by the way, this starts with Dave Watson at the top. I mean, this is not, this is a, throughout the whole organization, my boss, Tony Warner, you know, we all do it. And, and I think as a result of that, you've seen Comcast, you know, and by the way, we're making changes on the technology side as well. We're making changes on the experience side. But a lot of it comes to just having a motivated workforce. And you got to, to do that, you got to spend cycles on it. You got to, you know, I, I, I probably, um, I'm fortunate to have some people on my team that are really good at it. And they make me, <laughs> they, they, they calibrate me when I'm not doing enough of it well. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I would tell you, you'll get a return on the investment if you invest in your people. I'm Liz. I work at WOW. I'm totally envious of all the things that you guys are doing. We're obviously a smaller company. And so I think while I want to drive that innovation mindset within my team, a lot of times the answer is no, because it's just not feasible. Have you, have you all implemented something like gamification or how do you keep people motivated? I'm sure there's probably someone on one of these teams that's thought they have the genius idea time over time and it never makes it to the top. How do you keep up the energy level around that. What do you work at? Well, what do you what do you work? Oh, I uh, I run our ITPMO, our systems analyst group, and our QA group. Okay. So so um, there's a n number of ways to answer that, but I'll start with Comcast. As big as we are, we're a culture of microcultures, and so so um, what works for one organization won't necessarily work for every other organization. I mentioned earlier this thing called Lab Week, which is that's a huge hit with our employees, letting them work on some fun stuff. Um, and by the way, a lot of them, it's not really a week because, you know, they, they do it all the time that they can. They love it. Um, but one of the things in my world, um, we have this organization called Viper, Video IP Engineering and Research, I guess. Um, Denver-based. Denver-based. Cool building. Yeah, right up the street here. And, and what, what, what the leader of that group, Ewan McLeod, did is he said, you know, when, when we're done with Lab Week, they have a process inside their team where they pick one or two things that people are passionate about that they, they're just convinced they're going to make it into the product. Um, and, and there's one in particular that, that I'm, I think is a great idea. There's a, as a, as a young woman came to us from Google and, um, she, she, she has, uh, an affinity for people with PTSD. And so she has gone off and developed a technology called. Is that related to working for Google? <laughs> <laughs> Don't upstage me again. So, 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 um, but she, she, she has gone off and created a technology, um, called safe sound that takes the highs down a little bit and the lows up a little bit. For people that are that have, you know, if, if you ever watch anybody with PTSD with with Dunkirk or whatever, when any of these bombs are going off, it's a, it's a problem for them. And so, so, so this particular leader has allowed, they, they, as a group, they select okay, a couple more, and outside of the formal machine, these, these, there's a group of people that actually do this stuff. And and so a lot of it's, you know, we believe in pushing decisions down into the organization as far as you can, and we believe in allowing people to be different. And so that's an example where one of the individual leaders. Um, you know, took took something called Lab Week and said, we're going to do it even more. Um, but there's a lot of examples of how, how different people have done different ways. And But, uh, you know, I, I keep going back to the idea of employee engagement. Um, we talk a lot about inclusion, so we make sure we have everybody involved. It's not just a couple of people and, and all, all diversities and whatever. So, so, so you know, um, I, I, I don't know there's one answer for everybody. I think it's all about creating the right environment. I think, too, when you're small, you maybe have less of a uh, less of, less rules, so I'm kind of I've always been a proponent of ask forgiveness, not permission. So if there's one that resonates that doesn't cost a lot of money, and you think you'll see quantifiable good results. Just go do it. Don't tell your bosses I said that. I might. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I have a funny story about my 
So um, the first one of these that I did. Explain how it happened. Okay, yeah, so, so we have this, this um, process where customers can opt in and say, you know, they, 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 they give us feedback and they, they're, they're open to a callback, right? And so the very, very first one of these that I did, um, um, and I sat down with a guy who's teaching me how to do this, right? He's sitting next to me. And, and so I, I call this lady and I, I introduce myself and, and I say that I understand that she's had an issue and would, you know, could, could I talk to her about it? And she says, no, that she's busy. And then she spends about 15 minutes on the phone with me telling me how busy she is and whatnot. Anyhow, so, so, so I said, well, well, why don't you tell me about your problem? And she said, well, I met this guy on Facebook. He was, he, and I'm like, I, I, I'm like, okay, like, I'm wondering where this is going, right? And, and so, so she decides that, that um, he, she likes him, so she's going to buy cable TV service from this guy. So they start texting back and forth about buy the service. And he says to her, he's apparently a Comcast sales guy in some, somewhere in the machine, and, and says um, that you want to buy the bundle. And she says, no, all I want is broadband and video. I do not want voice. And he says, no, you want the bundle, it's cheaper. And she says, no, I don't want voice. I just want broadband and video. And then, and I'm trying to figure out where this is going. And then he said, she, he texted me in all caps, you want the bundle. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. And he's like, he yelled at me. <laughs> he yelled at me. Oh, because he was all caps. I didn't, you know, I'm no guy. I didn't know that all caps mean you were yelling. <laughs> so, so anyhow, I just let her, and I said, yes, ma'am, well, what would you like me to do? I want his supervisor to know he yelled at me. I can work on that, yes, ma'am. <laughs> so, so you get some weird stuff. Um, what, Did you close the sale? Uh, well, we made her happier. We, we, <laughs> yeah. So, 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 um, um, but you know, usually what happens is, guys on the technology side, that the problem we have is we want to solve problems. You know, we're all problem solvers, and and one of the things they warn you is you, you know, you you can't solve, and you 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 can actually go too deep on some of this stuff. Um, but no, it's it's a really good experience to hear. What we do, and then we have these—we have these tools called Timeline. We can actually look at what what experience the customers had over time, and and they actually store videos, or I'm sorry, audio uh, com voice conversations, so you can click on it, and hear hear what the CSR or the tech had. So it's a really cool process, and I've learned a lot lot doing it. Um, you know, I don't. Most of you probably never heard of Tom Peters, but Tom Peters was a big advocate of in in, in his day of you know you got to listen to your customers, and I've I've um, always been an advocate and a believer of that, and and you know. One of the last things that John Egan, name we talked about earlier today, um, he always talked about people want to do business with their friends, right? And so establishing relationships is core, and uh, it's, it's it's served me well in my career. It's just developing relationships, and relationships bring trust. And as John Egan would say, friends don't screw friends, right? So, so uh, I probably shouldn't mention that you tried to get me fired twice. Me? No, John Egan. Oh, oh, <laughs> kidding, kidding, long. Take that off the video. <laughs> Someone could ask me what are the coolest technologies I've seen yet this year. Thank you. <laughs> so I, I think one of the big ones coming up that, you know, you hear about virtual reality, and my first reaction was why would you put something, want to put something that covers your eyes and your ears on your head? But with the, this augmented reality, have you guys experimented with that at all? I'm not even sure I know how to explain it, but let me give you the two examples. So one was I went to a conference this past summer where I got to interview Gilfoyle from Silicon Valley, if any of you watched that. But um, one of the speakers was talking about how both of his sons were on the autism spectrum, their spectrum is seven and nine, and they went to some school in Stanford, and they had Google Glass that had been trained so that, that the, each boy could not only, like, if you were to fall, what's your name? Janice? Janice. If you were to be on the playground and fall down, the glasses would tell that young boy 
what your name is and tell by your reaction whether you're laughing at yourself like, oh my gosh, I fell down, or whether you're hurt and crying. He said it changed, changed their family's life. Um, the other one was a guy who's an investor in augmented reality technologies, and that he was asked, how do you decide what to invest in? And he said, I try to invest in problems that are, haven't been solved, one of them being lazy eye, which has a medical name that I'm forgetting right now. But I guess there's a, a virtual reality game now. That, oh, and when you have lazy eye, when you're a kid, you can correct it up to about 40% to a certain age. But if it continues into when you're an adult, it's, as, as of now, no known cure. Well, these VR glasses with the game inside create a 60% improvement in lazy eye, whether you're a child or an adult. So I thought that was pretty cool. And that all is part of, uh, in my new column, Nerdy Little Secrets, which came out, I, I wrote the second one a couple of weeks ago. Is that a plug? Yes, I think it was. Shameless. Well, so Shameless. the translation please column is kind of on the wane, but this one is, is, is new. And it's called Nerdy Little Secrets, and it's fun. So I think we have, um, we only have a couple minutes left. So I want to wrap up with just asking kind of what advice you would give to, to this group about how to be successful within the industry and, and really drive change and drive innovation. Well, I'll start. I, um, I would encourage you, as I said, with listeners, I would um, encourage you to not only um, um, figure out how to in your current domain, but how do you network? To me, it's about relationships. Um, you never know. It's a small world. <laughs> uh, and so, so cultivating and developing relationships across domains is always a healthy thing. Um, I, would, um, I suspect that all the people here are type A's and, and you know, career climbers and all that kind of stuff. I, I tell people that come to me all the time about the people that work in my world, I said, look, if you think I go to bed worrying about your promotion, it doesn't work that way. Um, my, my job is to create a, an environment where you can work to get a promotion, but you've got to drive it. So you're in charge of driving your career. Um, and I think you do that through the things that you're learning in this class and, and, and I bet by being a good listener and some of the other things that we've talked about. So the question was, how do you... What become, advice would you what give? What advice would I give? Okay, so start with gratitude in, in everything in your life. Um, be a good listener. Work hard. When you're not feeling... Like when you're in a really shitty mood, don't let it show. <laughs> and um, you know, try to be the person that when you walk in the room, everyone's like, oh, thank God you're here because you do something extra or they, they know that you, you're going to go the extra mile. Be empathetic, too. Like, it's, it's a job, but we're also all people. This industry is so good at collegiality. Carry that forward. We are a family in this industry. People always ding us, be, oh, cable's too clubby. It's not like we decided to be clubby. It's that from the very beginning, no operators ever competed with one another, so they were able to share best practices, especially in, on the engineering side. This worked, this didn't. So I think the more we can sustain that going through and remain unified as a group, good things will happen. And give back. Right, give back. You've been listening to an Entrepreneurship Academy session with Leslie Ellis and Ken Clare, part of the Cable Center's podcast series, Stories from the Head End. For the Cable Center, I'm Diane Christman. The Cable Center is a nonprofit industry organization that connects people and ideas to advance innovation. Today's podcast was produced by the Cable Center and made possible through generous underwriting provided by the Cable TV pioneers. Supervising producer and writer is Leela Kakoris. Please join us again soon.